0: Welcome to Subject to Change with Stephen Lentz. I interview business owners and execs and take a look at who they are, what they do, and where they come from. There's no script. We talk about our businesses, passions, and anything else we want, to. Thanks for listening. Welcome back to Subject to Change. I'm Stephen Lentz. And today I'm talking with Brian Dement, owner, founder, author, and father of four, as well as a crypto enthusiast. How are you doing, Brian?
1: I'm doing really well, Stephen. It's a pleasure to talk to you today.
0: Man, I am stoked. So I know we talked just briefly before we pushed record, and I feel like I say this every single time because obviously no one else can hear our conversation, but we, uh, we both got into crypto kind of a long time ago, and I feel like you got into it much more seriously than I did. <laughs> I had a brother who was into it. And he's like, you should buy it. It's 25 cents. I was like, no, I saved $5,000. It's all I have. And now I'm kind of crying to myself that night when I... <laughs> <laughs> I right. how much it is. But how long have you been in crypto?
1: So yeah, I mean, probably you, you might have had that proposition thrown your way a, a bit before I was into it. Um, I, I learned about, I heard about it for the first time in 2012, dismissed it. 2013 was the first time I took a serious look at it. I, I knew some people that, said, Hey, this is, this is interesting. You should take a look. But I thought it sounded like a Ponzi scheme, a pyramid scheme, any (laughs) kind of scam you could think of. Um, and I thought it was magic internet money, pirate money. Cause I, you know, I'd read headlines about how it was used to buy heroin on the dark web and Uh things like that. Yeah. Silk road. Yeah. Silk road. I mean, that was, you know, I guess it was the early use case of Bitcoin. Um, and some of those stories (laughs) might've been, you know, aggrandized and some of them were probably pretty accurate, but so that was the lens I looked at it. And then, um, I was really trying to to study it a little bit more to just kind of dis disprove it to friends and, and just kind of tell them that they're full of it because that's that's fun like our ego our ego, <laughs> our ego <laughs> likes to when our friends are excited about something crush their dreams um and so especially totally when it, oh go ahead did,
0: so did you find out about it just like on your own or do you have someone introduce it to you like for me it was my brother my older brother was like hey you should check this thing out yeah like otherwise i would have never known
1: Right. So How yeah, there, 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 well, the first time I ever heard about it, and this is when I just, just had dismissed it. I was watching it and I don't watch a lot of like ESPN, especially now, but back then I did a little bit and uh, it was like Sunday or it was like Saturday college game day. I never watched college football, but I was just happened to be watching ESPN. And there were, there was a, a kid in the background. So there, the setting was where there's There's a, you know, like the commentators and they're talking before the game with their microphones. And then Mm -hmm. they had the crowd in the background and there was a college kid with like, you know, his face paint on and all that kind of stuff. And he had a giant sign that said, Hey mom, send Bitcoin. And he had a QR (laughs) code on it. (laughs) (laughs) And, and so I was fascinated. I was like, what, what the heck is that? I have no idea what that is.
0: And he's a time traveler. He's he's
1: he's a a time traveler. (laughs) Yeah, this—I didn't tell you this was 1989. No, um, no, it, it was. It was. Yeah, it was probably 2012 at this time, somewhere around there. And uh, so I Googled it uh, and, and it turned out that I Googled it like a day or two later because I, I thought of it again. And, and it turned out there were some stories written on. him. Apparently, this kid had I don't know, it was like twenty four, twenty five thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin sent to him <laughs> because oh his, his QR code was you know, playing in the background of, of, of an ESPN segment. And so people from all the all over the world sent like a few dollars worth of Bitcoin and and then the price because at that time it took like any kind of press would make the, the Bitcoin price go up. So <laughs> there was, you know, people were saying, oh, Bitcoin's on ESPN, even though it was just some kid in the background. Right. And so that, that this kid <laughs> got maybe, you know, $10,000 worth of donations in Bitcoin, but then overnight it went up to like $25,000 and uh, you know how volatile Bitcoin is. And so I For thought sure. that was just an intriguing story, but it just kind of reinforced my belief that like, wow, this thing is really dumb. <laughs> like some, <laughs> some college kid just use this sign. And then it, how does the price go up so, so quickly and stuff. So, it was, it was that. And then it later it was probably a year or two later when had friends had, had said, Oh, have you heard of Bitcoin? I, I bought a little bit and yada, yada, yada. And I said, yeah, I remember this. The, the only other time I heard of it was this, this dumb college kid doing this weird thing with a sign. And so that was what kind of, I almost had a little bit of angst um, when I was trying to talk to my friends about like why this was so ridiculous. But what naturally happens, and, I, and this, is, this story is very consistent for a lot of people that kind of take the deep dive in Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, and, and those are two different things, by the way. I'll just kind of use them the terms interchangeably, but they, they do mean kind of two different things. Um, Bitcoin is, 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 especially true Bitcoiners, they, they really like to talk about only Bitcoin, and then cryptocurrencies is like everything else, but I'll use the terms interchangeably, but um, Bitcoin and cryptocurrency... Um, when you study these things, you inevitably study financial systems, how markets work. You, you study macroeconomics and, um, and, and kind of hard money. And over time, you, you, you tend to study gold and fiat currencies and all these things. And through that study was it really makes the appeal of Bitcoin much more alluring, alluring as far as um, it was much more enticing, this, this concept of scarce money. And the, the moment when I had the light bulb go off for like, okay. Bitcoin matters and it's here to stay. And it's actually a really important um, in- innovation is I was listening to is probably, this is probably 2013, 2014. By this point, um, I was listening to an episode of the Joe Rogan experience. He had this guy on named Andreas Antonopoulos and this guy, he, yeah. he's, he's a, yeah. So you've heard of him. He's, he's a mm-hmm. real famous um, kind of Bitcoin proponent and a cryptocurrency proponent. And um, he, he mentioned a bunch of things in that episode is three hours long, but the thing that stuck with me was when he talked about, the invention of Bitcoin marked the first time in computer science that we could make something scarce that's digital and also scarce. And I thought about that. I was like, wow, that's really interesting because yeah, if, if I go into a Word document right now and I type out a sentence, I can copy and paste that because it's digital. I can copy and paste it infinitely. There's nothing that caps that because it's digital. And this was evident in, in music. I mean, if you remember, you're, you're, we're the same age. We talked off, off air about this. You know, Napster and same LimeWire. Age. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> Napster and LimeWire. They proved this, I mean, in the early 2000s, I loved it as a, as a high school kid or a junior high kid that I could go on and download any songs and make a sweet summer mix and then burn it onto a CD and take any song I wanted. Um, but it changed the music industry overnight because music went from anal- analog CDs and cassettes and stuff like that, where they could, they could um, kind of monitor and, and kind of, uh, curtail you know, they could sell their product and keep inventory of it and keep a finite supply because it was analog it had to be produced. once it was digital you could copy a digital file and then music lost its monetary value almost overnight it changed the music industry completely it's now just starting to rebound but even the way that the music industry monetizes if you're a band you really don't make a whole lot of, uh, of money from from spotify streaming and stuff like that it used to be that you made all your money selling albums and you made a little bit of your money from merchandise and tours now bands The line share of their money comes from merchandise and tours. It's not really the actual music content itself. That's kind of what gets their brand out there. So digital things being scarce is really important for for money. I mean, for music, it was important, but money is far more important than than music and and some of these other digital things that you could copy and paste. So that that was the light bulb moment of, aha. If there is going to be a truly digital money, it has to be scarce. And the fact that that never existed until Bitcoin
0: was a pretty monumental moment. That's phenomenal. I, I love that. I think that's hugely overlooked. Like of all the Bitcoin conversations I've ever had, I think that's the first time that I've really heard someone get mm. into that aspect of it. Mm. Like, you know, the whole like, hey, there's only 21 million or I think it's 21 million, Right. Yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah, there's only 21 million that will ever be in existence. Like if that scarcity comes up, but that fact of being like, this is something that, yes, it's revolutionary, but revolutionary because of this mm-hmm. and like these concrete examples, I think is phenomenal. And it ties really nicely into NFTs and these other things too. It's just like I feel like Web3 in its infancy is like, we're just scratching the surface of blockchain. Like, blockchain is huge and it's the application. Is beyond my scope of really like you can tell me i'm struggling even to just like talk about it but like it's so wide and i feel like we we like even the experts were like yeah bitcoin and altcoins and you know smart contracts and the blockchain we're still just grasping at what the potential is like i don't know if you listen to gary v at all but like when he talks about yeah dude when he talks about like revolutionary revolutionizing the music industry by making the albums and stuff tied to their, like taking the royalties away from these companies that produce it and giving it back to the people and the artists, like it just blows my mind. And it's a super small niche, but like this goes into every niche I feel like, and we're, we haven't even really figured out how that works. So that's, that's just my little rant and like side trail of like Bitcoin blows my mind every day, but I think about it because <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like thinking about infinity, right? Like, <laughs> yeah exactly yeah, yeah I can, it can, like it can feel years, like an but... abstract concept yeah
1: i can really feel like it's beyond us sometimes um and i think that's why it's so important to bring it back down to earth and kind of cre- create some concrete things we can make tangible um because it is this metaphysical thing that, that we can't hold on to so we need to <laughs> we need to understand it conceptually yeah it's very
0: difficult i feel like most of my conversations i have about it, it's like you know we'll be like oh you know what about the dollar or this? I'm like you know it has value because we say it has value mm-hmm. i like anything has like, well, how much is this worth? And it's like, well, how much is someone going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. Like my house is my house. Like I haven't changed the paint of the walls, but you know, all of a sudden last week the market value has gone down by a hundred thousand dollars. Like the house isn't any different. Like <laughs> still yeah. grass in the front yeah. yard. Like why is it worth that much? And it's like, well, that's because people think that's how much it's worth. And I feel like people have this disconnect when it comes to Bitcoin or anything else, you know, a long time ago, people trade with shells. Like, well, how come, you know, leg of a lamb was worth five shells like well because they decided that you know that's how much it was worth (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it was tough it was a
1: tough exchange rate right because how do you divide the leg of a lamb and you know and so yeah you needed you needed needed (laughs) shells in order to do that but then you know maybe the next village over they didn't like shells they wanted glass beads or something like that it was yeah this transferability wasn't there um yeah you're right and that's it's one of the chapters i have in the book is is why bitcoin's the first ever like kind of perfect money. I mean, if you, if you look at the, the eight qualities of, of, of sound money and some of them, you know, just instead of sort of not rant on all the qualities of money, but you need scarcity and transferability and fungibility, meaning like one's the same as another seashells that they don't work very well for that because like one seashell is going to be kind of different than another seashell. They're all, they're all unique. You know, unique. It's like having snowflakes is your currency, right? They're, they're all different. Um, so they're not very fungible. And that's why you know things like gold you know better money has come along and gold is for 5000 years been a pretty reliable store of value but but even then gold's not perfect gold i mean if if you gave me a gold bar i have to trust that you didn't put you know 5 pounds of lead in the middle of that gold bar and just encase it in gold i'm not going to melt it down when you give me gold every time it's 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 a very kind of but that's the difference with bitcoin that's the ledger quick. the ledger is audited every 10 minutes so every there, there's no Possibility of a counterfeit Bitcoin. I mean, that is something else I think that, that hardly anybody talks about. When you deal with money, most people in, in our country, in the United States, don't worry about getting counterfeit bills. In my businesses, we've gotten counterfeit bills, but it's not something that's been a huge problem. I mean, so sure. so what we lose a hundred dollars every couple of years. Like it's not it's not that big of a deal. Um, but you're when you're transacting in other countries developing nations where the currency is is not as refined or people maybe can't even identify the currency quite as as distinctly like counterfeit currency is a big deal and then especially when you're dealing with things like like gold and, and, and national reserves how do you know that if your country says that they have a thousand tons of gold how do you know that they really have a thousand tons of gold they can, they can even show you the pile of gold, but you have no way of x-raying that gold to tell what its gold content is. So Bitcoin, sure. it, it, it checks off so many boxes as being even more gold than gold. Gold's the best money we've had in history. So I'm not even knocking gold. It's actually a really good form of money. I'd say it's better in, in many ways than fiat currencies. And fiat currencies have, have their benefits too. I, I, my book kind of trashes on fiat currencies a, a decent amount, <laughs> but they do serve a purpose. Now it's important for people to understand that it's pretty much the only asset in existence that's intended to deteriorate in value. Like it's intended, so, so billionaires hold. I, I named this stat in the book. The average person, the average American holds about like 40 to 50% of their wealth in in cash, in in dollars. So it's in a savings account or some sort of some sort of dollar denominated thing. And um billionaires they keep far less than one percent of their wealth in cash and it shows that that smart money tends to think of, of dollars as like a toxic asset you use it as a medium of exchange so if you need to buy a yacht then you cash out some of your stock and you go buy a yacht but you're only in the currency for a little bit um and so that that's obviously right there proves that fiat currency while it serves a purpose and you can pay your taxes with it and all that stuff it doesn't work as good money gold a really good form of money has a lot of limitations. How do you, you know, if you, if Stephen wanted to transfer, um, you know, a hundred dollars from Washington to California right now through gold, we can't, there's just no way to do it. But if you sent me it in Bitcoin and you can send a penny's worth of Bitcoin to me, you can't send me a penny worth of gold. So so Bitcoin has all these wonderful benefits that makes it better money than gold. It makes it more gold than gold. It's, it's more scarce than gold. And even this like gold, it's, it's, it's great money because it is so scarce. It's hard. It's called hard money. You can think of what makes hard money. It's just, if it's hard to produce it, that makes okay. it hard money. Gold is difficult. It's, it's, resource intensive to get it out of the ground. And so um, that's, that's made it something that's like, well, if you, if somebody gives me a gold coin, I know not everybody has this because it's difficult to, to, to get it. Um, now if the price of gold, say it's at like $1,800 per ounce right now, if the price of gold shot up to $10,000 per ounce tomorrow, there would be a market force of, of gold miners, gold miners would be incentivized. They know where huge gold deposits are that haven't been dug out of the ground yet. They would have a huge financial incentive to go dig out that gold from the ground and then put a lot of gold on the market and then suppress the price of gold. So yes, the price of gold could go up temporarily, but then all this gold would get dug out of the ground. And so people, human intervention, could suppress the price of gold. With Bitcoin, you cannot do that. There's a certain amount of Bitcoin that gets produced every 10 minutes, whether a million people are mining for it or one person's mining for it, the same amount of Bitcoin gets produced. So you can't say, oh, I'm going to try and produce more Bitcoin and produce more Bitcoin. Human intervention doesn't enter into the equation with Bitcoin. It's a a fixed supply that comes out every 10 minutes. And so it's actually in that respect even again more gold than gold. So sorry for the long rant there, but I mean yeah, we we're talking awesome.
0: about <laughs> <Awesome. That was laughs> talking perfect. about money it. qualities and stuff, and it's yeah, I think it's really exciting. So in your study of currencies and stuff, did you ever get into Austrian economics then at all, or not really? Yeah, absolutely. I think if you're uh, if you're a Bitcoiner, you like <laughs> you have to read
1: Austrian. <laughs> like right now, I'm, I'm reading uh, the Road to Serfdom by by F.A. Hayek, and that's like
0: a it's like mandatory reading for anybody that's in Bitcoin. That's awesome. And I mean, we talked about your, your book a bit. One more time, what's the name of your book? Yeah, it's called
1: Bitcoin Evangelism. And so it, it doesn't make any bones about what it's what it what the topic <laughs> is. It's uh, it's and, and what it's, you know, so people ask, okay, well, evangelism, I, I know of Christian evangelists and, and that sort of thing. Evangelism in its definition sense just means sharing a new way of doing something. So why Christians? I'm, I'm a Christian. While we talk about um, the, you know why we need to evangelize is because in the Old Testament there was one way of having a relationship with God and it was through sacrifice. But then through once Jesus came along, then the way to God was through Christ's grace. Right? It was a new way of doing things. Doing things well with Bitcoin, it's there's an old monetary system where it was centrally planned, it was centrally governed. Uh, there's no there's no historical precedent for a decentralized money. So literally, Bitcoin represents humanity's first time ever. Having decentralized money. It's not run by government. It's not a national currency. It's not a state currency. It has it has nothing to do with location or people group or race or ethnicity or anything like that. It's the only currency in history that 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 is removed from that. And some people might say, oh, well, gold was kind of like that, right? And yes, to some degree it was, but there were gold forms of currency. So stamped gold coins and things like that were Mm -hmm. country centric and and national centric. So Bitcoin, literally you can't stamp a U.S. Bitcoin. You can't stamp a Chinese Bitcoin or anything like that. It literally is a currency of people for the people. So that's kind of what Bitcoin evangelism is all about sharing about this new way of doing things. And the, the first half of the book really talks about why Bitcoin matters in terms of economics, technology, Um, and, and kind of how it's revolutionary in that sense, because you really shouldn't look at it as an investment and it was probably wise when your brother <laughs> hit you up to invest $5,000. It was, it showed good discipline that you're like, I, I don't know what this is. I'm not going to put $5,000 in it. That means you're wise. That, that was the right call. Now, financially <laughs> it didn't, it didn't pay off, but it was the discipline and prudent. It honestly <laughs> yeah, was the prudent. So hopefully so you can sleep better at night. It was the wise prudent decision. If you go through life making decisions like that in the end, you're going to be a lot better off. Um, and so yeah, you shouldn't invest in Bitcoin. You shouldn't take any of your money and put it into Bitcoin or any of your currency and put it into Bitcoin if you have a 0% understanding of it. But, you know, if you have a 1% understanding or a 5% understanding of Bitcoin, then invest 1% of your money or maybe 5% of it, um, depending on how much you understand it. But I, I certainly wouldn't YOLO into it, <laughs> as the kids said, like four or five years ago. <laughs> I know it's not even a term anymore. But um. Yeah, oh, man. See,
0: I wish I was well, as well spoken for, as you for Bitcoin evangelism because then I was at the station with my coworkers and it's, it was at three grand, three grand of Bitcoin. And I looked at them and I was like, guys, was like, you need to buy it now. It's like, this is the last time it's ever going to be in single digits.
1: Mm. I was mm. like,
0: buy it now. And they're like, no way. I was like, dude, soon it's going to go up to 10. I was like, and you're going to be screaming and kicking about it. And they're like, nah, it's never going to get there. And I you know, climbed up to like seven. And they're like, well, maybe. And I was like, guys, like, get it before it hits ten. Like, get it, please, just do it. Like, anything you can do. And obviously, like, I'm not near as eloquent, right? Like, (laughs) you're just, you're just
1: like, just like admonishing me. Like, you guys need to do this. Yeah, yeah. I was like, guys, like, look, I'm
0: buying it too. Like, do what I'm doing. It's for your, it's for your own good. Save yourself. Wow,
1: (laughs) the ship's burning. (laughs) Yeah, it's like hellfire and brimstone speech right there. But yeah, I mean. It, it is. It's one of those things where it, it can be frustrating. I think that that's where I was for a long time, is that those were a lot of the th- the appeals that I made to people. Is like, guys, and and I'll say this to back it up, the the inflation stuff we're dealing with right now. I the organizations that I was a part of in 2016 2017, I was doing presentations on why inflation is going to be a problem, back then. So uh, this is uh, that people say, oh, inflation's a problem because of COVID and stimulus. Like, yeah, that that hyper drove it. Um, but this is something that writing's been on the wall, and we can get more into that as why as far as why well, okay, I thought yeah. that. But I remember telling people because of this, that's why you need to get into Bitcoin, because it's scarce and it's going to be the answer to inflation. And you know, there'd be plenty of people, and I'd be even ha- happy to answer why I still think, even though the price of Bitcoin's gone down, why it's why it's a, a hedge against inflation. Um, but I, I didn't have the ability to articulate why much beyond that. Um, and so that I remember being frustrated. And that's why I kind of s- set on, on this quest to write the book <laughs> is to, to formulate some of these points, because a lot of times with Bitcoin conversations, more often than not, you don't know when they're going to start up. So it's not like you were at the firehouse one day and you're like, yes, I'm going to go to these guys and I'm going to start talking about Bitcoin. I don't know. Maybe you did that day, but usually it just kind of comes up in conversation. And so you're not really prepared with your rapid fire answers to, you know, why digital scarcity matters and all that kind of stuff. Yeah,
0: you know, they they tease you like, oh, how's the Bitcoin
1: going? You're like, no. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. You're like, I should have done some studying, some cramming for the exam last night. But that's why reading something like, like my book, um, it's, there's, there's certainly other really good Bitcoin books out there. Like, uh, the the Bitcoin standards, a really popular book that's, that's changed a lot of people's perspective on it, but those books are very academic and I'm not like a super smart guy. (laughs) And so those are books that I need to read, even though I kind of understand Bitcoin, I need to read them like two or three times to grasp the concept. My hope is with my book, it's, it's simplified enough that, that the answers are kind of, um, simplified for the lay for the layperson person to understand easy enough you can give it like one read through and have a pretty well formulated kind of thought process on bitcoin pretty well formulated arguments to at least be able to articulate your points in a conversation um and so yeah i i think that yeah it, it's important i've been exactly where you were and it's frustrating because you're like i see the writing on the wall but i can't tell you why i think that it's hard
0: mm-hmm. no, that's awesome so I mean, and going back, I mean, we kind of skipped over it, but so you went from seeing the dude with the "Hey, mom, send Bitcoin" sign, right? What was what was your journey after that?
1: Yeah, so once I just I started buying, I think because you 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 said you had your first shot at Bitcoin to like sub a dollar, and that's that's that was really early on. For me, it was I think Bitcoin was at two hundred and fifty bucks still when I first bought in, so it was somewhere in late twenty fourteen probably. Yeah, about right. um, and so but I was. I was an entrepreneur, young entrepreneur, and I was pouring everything into my business. So I had no extra money to spend. So I bought a few Bitcoin at that time and it's turned out to be, okay, cool, great investment. But it wasn't like I dropped $10,000 on Bitcoin at that time. Um, and so I just kind of bought it and then just kind of watched kind of watched the markets for a while. Um, when in 2017, when the markets really fired off and Bitcoin went to 19000 from, you know, it started the year in 2017 at like $900 a coin, finished yep. the year at 19000 So it was this tremendous upside. People were talking about it. All my friends jumped in at that point. And that was the cool thing. That was the first time when I was like, wow, I can really kind of help people out by, by sitting down and talking. I had, we were... I was playing softball with a bunch of guys and we all went over to one of my buddy's houses and did a bonfire after, after one of the softball games and guys just started asking me questions. And this was early in the year when Bitcoin was still at like 1200 bucks. And I think like five or six of the guys went home that night out of that conversation and were like at least compelled enough that they bought, like they bought a Bitcoin. And so those, I had a whole group of guys that went through that year and were just really excited about Bitcoin. And that was when I really started to ramp, ramp up my, my learning on, in terms of, Um, I had understood Bitcoin at that that point, but I didn't really understand the broader cryptocurrency market and what other projects like Ethereum were trying to achieve and um, what, you know, know, the early rumblings of NFTs and things like that were were going on then. Um, So that was when it really got exciting for people. The money part gets people excited. Um, I get really excited by the technology, but when you're going to bed and then waking up the next morning and you're like, I made $10,000 while I was sleeping, like, That's fun. And then your buddies wake up to that too. And then text you a bunch, you know, and, and, and congratulate everybody on how smart we are and all that kind of stuff. It it doesn't go the same way when the markets, when the markets are crashing, like, you know, the, 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 the group text gets a little quiet, Um, but uh, you know, it's, you you have, you have to bear with that. And that was the nice thing by that point, by this point, you know, we're in a market right now where Bitcoin is, is like other markets. Bitcoin's down quite a bit. It it peaked out last year at about 69,000. It's at about 20,000 or 19,000 a day. It's had a really big drop off. Um, But I've seen many of these these bear markets before. And what I've recognized is where the first time I invested in Bitcoin, I just kind of took a chunk of money and just bought Bitcoin and then didn't buy any more Bitcoin for like a year. Now, what I do and what I've been doing for the last six six years, I think, or so um, is dollar cost averaging. And all that means it's exactly what we do with our 401k account or any kind of retirement account that you have. It just comes out of your paycheck, every paycheck, maybe once a month, whatever it happens to be, and you just put it away. And you don't even look at it. You don't always, you're not constantly looking at your retirement account. And the people that made the most money in, in Bitcoin and in crypto investing seem to be people that do that. Because they just dollar cost average. And it doesn't have to be big amounts of money. For most people, maybe it's starting out with 10 bucks a month, 100 bucks a month. I don't know. I mean, everybody's budget is different. Um, but it's it's pretty cool to see. Well, like sometimes, yes, you're going to buy high. Sometimes you're going to buy low. But you get a really nice average price. And when the markets dip like they're doing right now, you don't panic. Like, yes, your portfolio might be going down in price. But it honestly feels like Black Friday. When the prices dip, Yeah, I get excited. I'm like, sweet. My, you know, if I'm investing $100 today, I'm investing $100 and I'm buying Bitcoin at 19,000 when Bitcoin was almost at 70,000. I remember I was like, ah, I wish I would have bought more when it was 19,000. Yeah. Well, guess what? This is the time. But the difference is, it's scary when the market comes back down. People are really risk averse and, and it's uncertain. You know, we like to say when it's when the price is really high, I wish it could get back down to 20,000. But when it gets back down to 20,000, it feels scary to do that. That's the difference between you know prudent investors investors, wise investors, and then kind of like the herd of everybody else is the herd acts on their emotion. When the market's scary, they freeze up. When the market's hot, they buy. So they're guaranteeing that they're going to buy high and sell low. And it's the exact opposite of what you want to do. So in investing with Bitcoin or any kind of investment, this isn't advice. This is just kind of a general principle is that you have to be willing to act counter to the crowds. And so that's probably the best thing that's helped me over the years in my crypto journey is to have been through some bear markets where it's scary. And you're like, oh my gosh, is everything going to go to zero? The case is pretty much out on Bitcoin. Like there's no guarantees in this world, but the idea that Bitcoin is going to go to zero at some point is not a real. It's not a real argument at this point. It, it's it's taking hold, and there's a bunch of adoption that's happening. I mean, it's been adopted. There's two countries in the world that recognize it as a national currency. That's just going to happen more and more. I think over the next couple of years, we're going to see more countries recognizing it as a national currency. That's mm-hmm. massive um there's a report out that walmart that this this credit card processing company called ncr they do about one sixth of all credit card transactions in the u.s they do credit card processing for walmart chipotle mcdonald's a bunch of other big retailers they're supposedly by by q4 of this year going to have a pay with bitcoin option in all of their stores that would be massive i mean if you go to walmart and you say I i can pay with bitcoin and this is the thing walmart might not want to accept bitcoin so what it does you have the ability to pay in bitcoin and then it transfers into dollars so walmart doesn't have to have any exposure to bitcoin's volatility and you know there's all this free pr for bitcoin all over the world because now the biggest retailer in the world is saying you can use it and it validates it so all that to say the idea of bitcoin going to zero is a very small idea so bitcoin It's not going to stay at 19,000. If it doesn't go to zero, which it doesn't look like it is, I don't think anybody that that, that's like a a smart investor thinks that it's going to zero. Then where is it going? Um, I don't think it's staying at 19,000. And it's just getting more adoption. There's only 21 million ever. There's only 19 million right now. Um, It's going to be another 100 years until the, the 21 million coins are all in circulation. There's 45 million millionaires in the world. Not every millionaire can even have an entire coin. So buying a percentage of a coin, uh, a small fraction of this, you know, like the penny is to the dollar in, uh, in Bitcoin, they have a, a small fraction, it's called the Satoshi. People that have 100,000 Satoshis or a million Satoshis, these small fractions of Bitcoin, those are gonna be worth, I think, substantial sums of money Um, I don't think you're going to be talking about people that own entire Bitcoin. Like that's going to be kind of the status of like a millionaire. Oh, you're a Bitcoiner. You have an entire Bitcoin. Oh, that you're in this elite club, but you can have a tremendous amount of wealth and not even have an entire Bitcoin. I think that that's how the supply and demand of this whole thing works. It's so scarce. And there's so much brewing and pent up demand for this thing over time that, I mean, it's just really exciting to think about the prospects over the next five, 10 years.
0: Yeah, I think you're absolutely spot on. And so the next question being in that was, is, are you a, are you Bitcoin exclusive or do you also go into other altcoins?
1: Hmm.
0: That's a, it's a good question. I was actually talking to my wife about this last night because
1: <laughs> I'm starting to get the first. <laughs> so I'm not, I'm, I'm a Bitcoin. Not a So maximalist means you kind of don't like the other stuff. I'm like a Bitcoin, like Bitcoin's primary in my, in my view. I think Bitcoin is, is the most important. I think it's the most decentralized, it's the most secure, secure. A lot of other crypto or digital assets are still in their experimental phase. They're not sure. s- truly decentralized like Bitcoin is. So as long as people know what they're getting into and they, they don't think everything's the same as Bitcoin, um, a lot of the traits that we describe Bitcoin, other cryptocurrencies don't have the same traits. So like we talked about earlier with digital scarcity, other cryptocurrencies, like the number two crypto Ethereum, which I actually own, I like Ethereum. I think it has a great use case but it's not, uh, it's not scarce in the same way that Bitcoin is. It's, it's scarce in the fact that um, it's, uh, you know, there's a, well, I guess it's not scarce because it, there's no limited supply to it. It does have a, without getting, I guess, too complicated, some coins, as you use Ethereum, some coins get burned. And so it kind of limits the overall supply of it. So there's some weird things that go on with that, but it's not, it's not limited. Like there's not, we can't say, oh, there's only a hundred million Ethereum out there. There's just a, Unlimited growing supply of Ethereum, so it's not scarce in the same way Bitcoin is. A lot of other cryptos, like Dogecoin, same thing. A lot of people have heard of Dogecoin. I'm not a big believer in Dogecoin. It has a, you know, five billion new Doge, Doge Dogecoin get created every year, um, and so I've heard arguments that make a compelling case for Dogecoin, even though Dogecoin started out as a, um, as a meme coin, yeah. as a meme. Yeah, it kind of started out as a bit of a joke. I know it's it's gotten a little bit more serious because <laughs> of you know Elon Musk backing it things like that. And I could I can make some you know even Milton Friedman arguments for why Dogecoin makes sense. I, I'm not personally a believer. So I think, think it's important. I have a whole chapter of the book devoted to labeling kind of the various crypto asset classes. So there's Bitcoin, which is aiming to act as money. There's Ethereum, which is where all the, the decentralized applications are built. And so for, for the, one of the examples I use in the book is people ask all the time, what's the difference between Bitcoin and Ethereum? I'd say, okay, think of your iPhone. On your iPhone, you have Apple Pay, which is like Bitcoin. So it's like if you want to go pay for stuff, but on your on your iPhone, you also have the app store. That's where if you want to go down, download Netflix or Uber, all the applications are in the app store. Well, that's what the smart contract platform Ethereum does. It, it's where all the decentralized applications are built. So they're not in competition with one another. They're actually complementary to one another. They're kind of two parts of a whole. Um, and so I think it's important to understand, OK, if I'm investing in cryptocurrencies and digital assets. Where does, where do the different asset classes break down? So yes, I, I think Bitcoin is first. I think money is probably the most important element. And I think that's kind of the most important for the world, but then yeah, yes, decentralizing applications and stuff, I think is, is really important for the future of the world as well. Um, so there's some, there's some exciting prospects there, but I think that segment of the market, I just look at it as more experimental right now.
0: Mm-hmm, for sure. Are there any projects that you are currently following? You're like, oh, I really like this certain project. I'm
1: mm-hmm. so... It's not in the like the sexy appeal right now, a couple years ago was in the limelight, but things go out of vogue and then back in vogue. Um, mm-hmm. all, all the NFTs are kind of all the rage right now. I don't own any NFTs. I think that the technology for NFTs is, is very compelling, and I think it has a lot of huge implications for digital property rights going forward. Um, so NFTs are a space to keep an eye on. I don't invest in like individual art pieces. I see that as kind of speculative. Unless it's a piece of art I like, then I'm, I'm all for it, um, but I want to sure. do it just to buy and, and sell it. But one of the things that's, that's kind of out of vogue right now, and those are the things I like to invest in because I think they come back around, especially with adoption, are protocols called um, Oracle protocols. So I don't know. Have you ever heard of Chainlink before?
0: I've heard of it, but I couldn't tell you anything about it.
1: Okay. So I think after this, you'll, you'll be like, okay, that's like interesting. Maybe I'll keep an eye on it. So um, it, it does sound like you're familiar with Ethereum and decentralized mm-hmm. applications, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, in order to have a decentralized application, let's say, let's imagine we have a decentralized gambling app. And so we're going to bet on the outcome of a baseball game. And I'm going I'm to bet $10 on the Angels. You're going to bet $10 on the Dodgers. And we're going to use a smart contract to, to pay it out. So, we both put in our Ethereum, $10 worth of Ethereum, and it's in the smart contract. And the smart contract, at the end of the game, is going to pay out the winner. So if the Angels win, I get $10. If the Dodgers win, you get $10. Now, there's an important question. Who gets to tell the smart contract who won the game? Because if I get to tell the smart contract, then I can corrupt the, the bet. If you get to tell the smart contract, then you can corrupt the bet. The source of whoever tells the smart contract who won the game, that's really, really important, especially for things that deal with money or finance and that sort of thing. So you need these things called Oracle Protocols. What that is, is it goes out and it's a a decentralized. It's another blockchain that goes out and fetches real world data. So it crawls the internet. It looks at all the gambling websites. It looks at all the sports booking websites, all anything that would report the game. It aggregates that information and uses a little bit of AI and it comes up with the winner. And so it uses kind of a consensus amongst what's on the internet and says, oh, the angels won the game. So we're going to pay out $10 to Brian. So Oracle protocols are kind of an overlooked thing but they're one of the most important parts of smart contracts so if you're gonna have decentralized applications you Super need cool. to fetch real <laughs> world data and so that oracle is, is like a important cog in that machine
0: yeah no that's awesome I, I again like always blow my mind when i'm thinking about crypto stuff like that's i know you can't see it when my camera's off but just brain matter all across that back wall there <laughs> like it makes total sense yeah <laughs> yeah because
1: awesome. we think so we're used to systems where people have to be involved. And so, and, and this is kind of this, you know, one of the lines I have in the book, I, I, I quote Peter Thiel, because we're kind of at this cross section of humanity, right? We, when we talk about, oh, we're gonna put more responsibility in the hands of, of algorithms and stuff like that, that scares people, right? Like, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, the AI is gonna take over <laughs> and it's like Terminator or something like that. But there's two points of this. There's decentralized intelligence, which we have control over, we, we create predetermined rules by which this artificial intelligence and these blockchains can operate, and so they can't out they cannot act outside of those rules, and that's a very safe way to use AI. But then on the other end, we have um, Peter Thiel. His quote is that you know countries like basically the future is. AI versus blockchain, because AI is going to be used by top-down authoritarians, because like in China, they use it for surveillance and social credit scores and all these things. And blockchain is kind of the antithesis to that. Blockchain represents freedom and kind of the, the individual and individual property rights and using these types of technologies to defend individual properties, to defend individual interactions from top-down authoritarianism. So that's really, you know, when you get into those things, to me, it's like a really compelling thing because in a 2022 culture um, where we're looking at different countries around the world and limitations on freedoms and things like that, I think it makes the case really
0: compelling. That's awesome. Huh. And I, I just read this, uh, I think it was yesterday actually have are you up to date with like the whole solend thing and the the big whale guy who's gonna like liquidate his shares and plunge the price
1: no no i haven't heard anything tell me about that
0: so it's it's on medium and i'd have to go back and give you like a really good like concise story but essentially like this guy owns a crap ton of solend and it was like gonna short it and leveraged it like super leveraged it (laughs) and to the point where they're like this is this sale is gonna like destroy the price like potentially all the way down to zero and so they like had this meeting to try to like make a consensus to take this guy's assets to like monitor and like slow it down. Mm. So super interesting. But I know there's like super as there should be big backlash in the crypto community of being like, this is not what we're about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so... Gotcha. Wow. Yeah. No, I I hadn't heard it. Now I'm gonna have
0: to look that up. There's a, man, There's a lot to keep. There's a lot to keep track of right now. <laughs> No, but Celo actually is one of is a, a project that I really enjoy, and I don't know if you've heard it. It's C E L O. C E L O. No, yeah, yeah no, I,
1: and I'm I'm always ears because there's like eighteen thousand cryptocurrencies out there, and okay. uh, I'm trying to keep up to, to par. But so what what is what is that all about?
0: So their their DeFi and their mission is to make essentially cryptocurrency available to third world country, mm. right? Like mass mass adoption via the underprivileged. And so they've done cool projects like, uh, I think it was like Basket Weavers in the Philippines or something like that. Like they went in and found this community of people who were really struggling. They couldn't get loans. They didn't have any money to buy their supplies. And so they had like, they seeded this community from their their backers and they all like gave, I think it was like $5,000 worth of CILO. Oh, but, nice. it, and there's like this case study of how it, their involvement with Celo turned that community around, like made these, you know, 20 families with these, matriarchs who are selling baskets and like doing weaving and stuff and textiles wow. to provide for themselves and their communities and just be like look like DeFi is a very viable solution that we can tangibly help people with
1: hmm.
0: and it's cool and they've they've got like uh i think three different stable coins now like one's in brazil i think it's like the Real. they've got one in europe uh, it's like i can't remember they're all like see something right but yeah. See, it's, it's a very cool platform. And I think they, last time I was looking at it, I think it was a while ago. They're like five or $6, I think for a Celo coin, but
1: wow, I think they're, they're
0: very under undervalued for what they're doing and like the stuff they're doing. But I, I think they're just, they're one of those watchers, right? Like mm-hmm. in a couple of years, all of a sudden it'll be like 20 or $30 for a coin or something. <laughs> yeah. And
1: we'll have like, the same regrets, from? right? About Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. No, but they're, they're super cool. I mean, but. that's,
1: that's really interesting. Yeah. There's, there's some really cool stuff like that right there. Such a great story. How many headlines have you seen about that? <laughs> like zero, right? I mean, it's yeah. maybe, maybe it's from specific like crypto news websites and stuff, but I mean, as far as mainstream, that stuff's not being talked about. Um, and those are like real solutions to problems around the world of poverty and, and banking the unbanked and and giving financial, I mean, those people that they're working with probably have never had a bank account, right? Cause it's just not profitable for banks to have banks in those regions or, or to provide bank accounts for those people. Um, and so, yeah, giving people, it's, that's a weird thing is that there's these all sorts of uh, historical, th- even current day things that you see where, where cultures jump technologies. So, for example, mm-hmm. you go to some of these like African countries where they're, they're developing nations and they never had landline telephones, but then people are walking around with smartphones. And it's like, yeah, you guys just bypassed the entire landline telephone yeah. generation because that infrastructure was really really expensive to build out. Um, but, but we're using satellites and you know, Starlink and, and all these different these different telecommunications networks and, and smartphone technology has been deflationary, so it's become cheaper. Um, yeah, poorer people can have access to, to a smartphone and an internet connection, and that's all you need to have a bank account now with Bitcoin and CeeLo and these different, <laughs> these different coins. And now you're plugged into not just a local economy, you're plugged into a worldwide economy. And if you study economic systems, what keeps people poor is their economic network is limited and if you only have so many people you can trade with then your capacity to pull yourself out of poverty is very limited but if you can plug into a worldwide economy then the upside i mean you only need to take a a fraction of a fraction of a fraction of any kind of business from the worldwide economy and bring it into those villages and it completely transforms their their local economy overnight Right. So that's exciting. I mean, as soon as you're talking about that, I'm like, yeah, I've seen projects that have that have talked about things you know similar to that. And they're they're making huge differences in these places. And guess what? This is kind of the cool thing about free markets and, and growing markets. When you make a new market wealthy, that provides extra services and resources and, and goods for the world. It makes other places more wealthy. I mean, it's, people think that there's a, a mutual, mutually exclusive wealth in the world. Like if one person has wealth, then the other person can't have it. If people are producing things with capital, then it makes more wealth for everybody. It makes more value for everybody. And so that's why I think it's really important for us to look at it that way is
0: building up other economies because it, it actually makes the world a, a wealthier place. I love that. What's your take on like staking pools and stuff? Like, are you, are you solely buy and hold guy and you just kind of like store away in cold storage or do you do trading? Like I myself personally, I like trading and I use some bots and stuff and mm-hmm. I think it's fun, but like what's, what's kind of your mentality as far as when it comes to assets and crypto and your general outlook?
1: Well, I was never uh, smart enough to go the bot route with trading. I always just try to like do it myself, and then that was the only way I ever <laughs> lost money in in, in crypto. Um, so I, I know some guys that have done it successfully, like yourself, with bots, and uh, you know that that would have been the way to go. Um, yeah, but uh, very much buy and hold, and then yes, staking. Um, I, I do I do a fair amount of staking to just generate some passive passive income on you know proof of stake coins like Cardano um, mm-hmm. and some of those. Projects again. I I have a checklist in the book of, of kind of my methodology for for coins and like the process I go through before I buy into them. Um, but yes, if I believe in the use case and the tokenomics and everything, then I'll buy I'll buy and hold it. And if it's if there's some sort of sort of staking feature to it, then then I'll do that. I do. I have about I don't know a few thousand dollars that I that I'm just doing DeFi. So I'm just doing yield farming with that's very experimental for me. I don't know if it's a good investment or a bad investment. <laughs> um the impermanent loss um is is kind of making the it it kind of flatline. I'm not really making much money um by by lending out my my coins that way. Um, I've even put a now I don't know have you heard about the Celsius uh um thing that's going on right now there's a a centralized finance thing it's called Celsius where you can lend your you can lend your crypto to it and earn you know Say if you lend Bitcoin to it, you can earn like five percent back in more Bitcoin. Have you heard of that?
0: I know there's different ones. I haven't heard of Celsius, but I like mm-hmm. Nexo Fly. You can essentially put your Bitcoin in there and lend it out, and then you get like eight to ten percent, I think. And if you have, if you hold, I think forty percent of Nexo coins within the amount that you have, like you get a higher percentage, or you can like do other stuff. But exactly.
1: So yeah, it's it's that kind of same thing. But the problem with Celsius is that they re- and this is because, and and so we're starting to see. We're, where a lot of people are recreating the banking industry. And I, I'm, I'm, I've been a sucker for this. I, I took a small percentage of, of my Bitcoin and I put it on Celsius. Celsius, about a week or two ago, froze all customers' funds. Um, and so if you had a, a Bitcoin, you say you're holding a Bitcoin on there, it's not sure that you're going to get it back. Um, and so, you know, that's the problem is these companies can do, they can engage in risky investments on the backside. And that's kind of what Celsius, it looks like they were doing um so it's uncertain as far as like my bitcoin that i put on there to generate passive income uh, it's not certain if i'm going to get it back and so that's the risk that comes along with that and i knew that i knew that that was part of it that's why t- thankfully, thankful i took a small portion of the portfolio and did that but i know <laughs> I, I have a friend that has two bitcoins sitting on there and uh you know it's forty thousand dollars worth of bitcoin today mm-hmm. that he might not ever see again and so i know that 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 sucks and that, that's something that um, it reminds us of why self-custody is so important. I mean, that's one of the key promises. We haven't even touched on that yet, but um, with, with Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies is you can store it yourself. Um, mm-hmm. That's the whole reason why central banks were created in the first place was to protect people um, because people used to not want to put money in the banks because banks could fail. Um, now central banks exist. And, and I could know, go into reasons why I still don't think central banks are good. But one of the reasons why central banks exist is so that bank failures Um, you know, you having, say, if you had your your retirement account at a bank and then the bank failed, then you would lose it all overnight. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons why central banks exist. And so we're starting to recreate the old banking days with these centralized exchanges where people, instead of holding it themselves, they hold, you know, most of their money on these exchanges. And then the exchange they fail. They become insolvent. Maybe there's some sort of out-and-out out scam, and they just take your money. So there's 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 inherent risk with that. So I, I would tell people to be very cautious about any kind of staking they do. Like I said, I, I do staking, but be very cautious about any kind of staking or lending that you do. Um, I would keep the 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 main share of your of any Bitcoin or cryptocurrency you have in cold storage. Keep it offline so it, it can't be hacked. Um, and yeah, if you want to experiment with some of these aspects, I think it's worth learning about. I think that's why I'm playing around with DeFi, because I think DeFi is an important technology that has important implications going forward. So I would like to know about it. Um, I liken this to the, uh, the early days of the internet. So in the early days mm-hmm. of the internet, the people that knew about the internet and they learned about it and they, they took time to study it and understand it in 1990 are the guys that are building rockets and shooting people to the moon right now, right? It's like the Jeff Bezoses and the Elon Musk. Those are the guys that, that jumped on the internet and, and just ran with it. But there was also people in 1992, 1993, 1994, that had businesses that had nothing to do with the internet, but they also took the time to study it and they benefited from it. And like, what I would mean by that is say you had a, a pizza parlor and you're thinking, I'm not an internet business. I'm a pizza parlor. Well, the first Pizza parlor that decided to make a website and do online ordering, they blew their competition away because they had this new pipeline to customers that never existed before. And now there's a whole e-commerce that revolves around food ordering. And those companies that were the first to the market benefited the most greatly. And that's kind of the same thing with Bitcoin and blockchain. You might say, Oh, my the career that I'm in has nothing to do with Bitcoin, it has nothing to do with blockchain. Well, you know, and, but, I, and I don't even care to invest in it. Well, I still think it's worth understanding because chances are every business, since we're dealing with money and digital money here, it's probably going to affect every type of business in the same way that websites affected every type of business. There's not a business around now that doesn't have a website that they, whether they wanted to or not, they've, everybody's adopted the internet and that's going to be the same thing I think with Bitcoin. So I think it's important to, to look at it that way. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that's we're talking about implications,
0: I think it's pretty massive. That's phenomenal. I love that. And to be, I mean, respectful of your time, where where can someone find more information about you or your book? Well, I'm on
1: Twitter. So um, Twitter and Instagram. So I couldn't get the same handle. Somebody swooped on my handle (laughs) for one, but it's on Twitter. It's at Brian, B-R-I-A-N-T-H-E, like the Mint, M-I-N-T. And then on Instagram, it's at Brian, B-R-I-A-N dot D-Mint. Um, and so, yeah, you can reach out to me there. I'm very responsive. So if anybody has Bitcoin questions, crypto questions, I'll answer them there. Sometimes when people have a really good question, I'll make like a video response to it um, and, and send it out for everybody. For my book, you can just find it on Amazon. Um, if you So if you type in Bitcoin evangelism, it'll pop up. You can buy it through my website. It's freshlymintedbooks.com, freshlymintedbooks.com. Um, if you don't mind leaving a review on Amazon once you read it, that really helps me out. But one of the things that because we were just talking about cold storage a second ago, one of the cool things about my book, Um, is it's the first book in history that has a Bitcoin wallet hidden inside of it. So I hid a, it's three, like we talked about earlier, a Satoshi or a sat is like the smallest part of a Bitcoin. I hid a Bitcoin wallet with 3.1 million sats inside of it. So it's about, I don't know, $800 worth of Bitcoin or $750 worth of Bitcoin. Um, I hid that Bitcoin wallet inside of the book so basically when you read through the book you're looking for 12 words there's a 12 word seed phrase that's how you secure a bitcoin wallet imagine just like a passphrase that unlocks a bitcoin wallet that's hidden in the book somewhere and every book has all the words in it so you just the first person that finds it is going to win it it's like willy wonka's golden ticket so if you find (laughs) it first you get to basically just take my bitcoin it'd be the same as like hacking my wallet but i'm putting the words out there for you to find them so um it's kind of fun i've had nobody's found it yet i think I've had a few people message me. They have like six of the 12 words. Um, but the book's been out for about a month and nobody's found it yet. So people are, are finding words, but they're
0: not all the way there. That's really cool. That's fun. There's a, did you, there was some guy, I, I should remember this because I remember reading about it and I thought it was really cool, but he's, I think he was in California actually, but he hid like a treasure chest full of stuff. And it was like, Gold and diamonds and rubies and precious gems and like artifacty type things, and it's worth like supposedly millions of dollars. And he had a poem that he made, Mm -hmm. and the poem described where it could be found. And it went on for like multiple years of people like trying to find it and like pseudo conspiracy esque. And I think someone (laughs) finally found it like a few years ago. Really? But yeah, (laughs) (laughs) I'd never heard of that. Man, that'd have been cool. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So it's just like, I wonder if This is where you got that inspiration from. That, no, that's awesome. I love that's you. not where
1: I got it from. But see, this points to the cool thing about we're in a new, we're in an emerging technology. Like Bitcoin's been around for 13 years. That's not really that long. And I can't find anybody that's done this with a book before. And that's a cool thing. Like, I don't think it's that creative or that original, but it's a new technology. And so I get the, the honor and privilege of being the first person to do this in a book. And that's a cool thing is you can find new ways to apply Bitcoin and cryptocurrency that have never been applied before, like something that nobody's ever done before. And that's the benefit we have of being in
0: a new industry. Sure. I'm sure you probably told them in the book, like, Hey, once you unlock the, the, the wallet, make sure you send the funds out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. Cause then I'll share the Bitcoin
1: with you for the rest of the, forever, you know, and you're going to have to, you're gonna have to share it with me, but yeah, no, yeah, definitely. Once you, once you steal the Bitcoin, make sure you send it to your own wallet. Cause then other people are going to find those 12 words. Um, but yeah, that, <laughs> it's, it, it's fun. It's been fun so far. Uh, people, people have been really getting the kick out of it. And the cool thing is you actually kind of have to read the book in order to find the words. And so, um, it's, it's really forced people to dive in and digest the information. And I've been getting really good feedback about how it's such an easy read. I don't use a lot of big words or anything like that. It's probably because I'm just not that sophisticated of a guy. Um, and I need things simplified for me. Um, but that's been the greatest feedback ever. I've had guys in from the the, the hood um, in New York tell me that it was like, the, the you know, only economics book that they've ever read. And it was life-changing. I've had CEOs tell me that it's the only thing that they've ever read about Bitcoin and it was really accessible for them. I've had you know musicians reach out. I mean, just so many different people that have read it and said that it, that it resonated for them. And that's exactly what I was going for. Like when I was writing the book, that was the hope is they would speak to kind of people wherever they were at um, because money Is something that speaks to all of us. Um, And so I'm glad that it came off that way. And uh, I just, it's it's been really encouraging to get the message out there um, and then also have people (laughs) enjoy it and find it
0: edifying. That's awesome. So last question for you then is, is there anything that you wished I'd asked you or that you wanted to revisit before we ended that?
1: Oh man. Um, I think I would love to come back sometime and just like do a whole episode on. I mean, this might sound super boring to to people, but I think that it's like so relevant now that people might just be like, okay, I'll listen anyways. It's just inflation and and why. I mean, I kind of alluded to why we saw this coming before inflation was going to happen and why Bitcoin is actually a solution. So, like in the short term. Bitcoin doesn't seem like a, a fix for that because the price is going down right now. Um, but I think that there's a, a really compelling reason for why not only Bitcoin has inherent value, um, I think all my my older family members, they can't get over the fact that I can't pick a Bitcoin up. So how does it have value? Um, and so I could you know touch on why, why Bitcoin has inherent value and why it's also a, 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 an actual fix or hedge for inflation.
0: Yeah. I always laugh when like people ask that. i like, well, you know, when you pay with a credit card, like your bank's not like stuffing dollar bills in an envelope and sending right. it to Walmart, <laughs> right? Like, well, <laughs> I, don't know I think people that up think either.
1: that. I think people think that though. I, I really do. Yeah, no, that's so all awesome. funny. You no,
0: know, it's. I mean, that goes back into like five to seven years ago. I feel like my brother was super into again Austrian economics, and he's like, you know the inflation missiles left the tube. Like it's been launched. We're just not sure yeah. when it's going to hit. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like you said, like Ren's on the wall. Like we're just waiting for that.
1: Yep. Yep. And <laughs> I think there's there's really historical, like really fun, interesting historical, uh, you know, precedents or h- use cases or case studies, I guess is the word I'm looking for, to go into on, you know, like Weimar Germany and talking about how their hyperinflation was created and ultimately how it ended. The way it ended, Here's the here's the spoiler alert the way that the German hyperinflation after World War One ended was they created a new currency with a fixed supply that couldn't be inflated. That was the fix to their hyperinflation. And so we have a, a digital version of that today. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty cool when you look back at history and Austrian
0: economics, exactly what you're talking about um, has a lot of answers, I think, for our current context. That's so good. Awesome. Well, Brian, thank you so much for being on Subject Change. And everyone else, thank you for listening. Thank you, Stephen. I appreciate it thank you for listening to subject change please like subscribe leave a review of our podcast and if you have any questions if there's a business you would like to see featured on our podcast or a niche or something you want to learn about drop us a message or an email and let us know be happy to to interview someone and answer those questions thanks again for listening